Well, we're doing Facebook Live this morning. I think it's live, so you can say hello to probably my two or three friends here. No, there's already one, two, three, four. There's at least six on there. So uh, anyway, I just thought it would be something we could get out since everything else seems to be not working. Well, I've gone back and forth. I have uh, I have worked out about four sermons for this morning so far. But in as much as Sherry, who went uh, to great effort to get the bulletin for us today, um, we've downsized it, but we have it. And you have the text that I was going to preach on today. I'm just going to go ahead and preach on it. I told a friend last night, I started to tell him, I said, this morning, or the, uh, the morning sermon is uh, going to be short and, well, it's going to be short. <laughs> I didn't want to presume to say that it would be sweet. I know that uh, with all that we've had to deal with, our minds are focused on so many things. What I had thought about preaching on was uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, where we read about the peace of God that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts. But, of course, he guards our hearts in Christ Jesus. And so that takes me back to Luke, where we have been. And I'm just going to continue on which may seem like a strange text today because there are a lot of names there that I don't plan to go through and try to pronounce. You can use your imagination as you read through there and perhaps think of how they ought to sound. But what I want us to understand is that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan and prophecies. And Luke makes clear that point as he gives to us Jesus' genealogy. And so today, as we think about that, I have just a few points to share, and and we could move on our way. Jesus begins his ministry, and he began it when he was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, in that, we gain some important information. We learn the age of Jesus at about the time that he began his ministry, about the age of 30. And they rounded off the end just like we do now. So that's close enough. There's no point in trying to pinpoint it definitely. He was about 30. And he began, we know, as the one who is the son of God. It is supposed that he was the son of Joseph. But we know better. Luke has told us throughout. The verses up until now. And then it concludes simply by saying ultimately, as he speaks of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. It's as if we come back full circle. We move from Jesus, supposedly the son of Joseph, who really is the son of God, all the way back to Adam. Now, I've tried to trace my genealogy. And I've been able to go back several generations. I do not know who stands in the line between me and Adam, however. You know, you get back so far and there ended up being some great, great, great grandfather who was tried for stealing a horse. And his uh, demise is somewhat questionable, but they probably hanged him. And I thought, well, so much for my connection to royalty. And I stopped looking. In the line of Jesus, of course, you have a whole succession of failures. 
I mean, if this is a resume, this is not the one to commend you to the world. You have some names there, of course, of significance. After all, you have some prophets or rather some uh, prominent individuals. David, for example, that looks good on a resume. But then you think about the kind of man that David was, and you realize that he had a checkered life. And that's the best you can say about all of these individuals. So today we're sitting here having gone through, you having gone through a hurricane. You're wondering what next. We have people who are wondering where they're going to live next, how they're going to put their lives back together. We must continue to tell ourselves in every circumstance that not only Luke, the physician, has good news, But God has given us good news through the Lord Jesus Christ that we're human beings, beginning with Adam and Eve, extending all the way down through those successive generations. You had one failure after another to varying degrees. Not all of them were as bad as they could possibly be. None of them, in fact, were as bad as they could possibly be. But there were certainly some who were worse than others. But measuring short. So, Jesus is the subject of the gospel. He carries out the action in the gospel so that our testimony, if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus, is about what Jesus has done for us, not about what we supposedly have done for him. Now, inasmuch as we seek to serve him, of course, we render service unto the Lord Jesus. But that's not my testimony. My testimony of grace is not about what I do. It is about what Christ has done for me. And Luke wants us to understand that at the beginning of his book. In these this successive line of genealogy, Jesus is the one who has come to set things right after everybody else has messed it up. When I was driving back yesterday, you know, first world problem, right? The interstate is closed. So I had to drive on other paved roads to get here. That was not a hardship. I was in an automobile that had gas, and I was able to drive it. Well, I was able to drive fast compared to horse-borne transportation. I was not really having a problem at all, and I kept telling myself that. But then I was looking at the landscape. Some of the area out in the rural parts of uh, Florida, east of here, looked so devastated. Trees down, power lines down, workers out there trying to get them back up. And I thought, what is all of this? We're living in the middle of the fall. That's what this is. Humankind, having rebelled against God, has plunged this world into such a condition that a a butterfly can flap its wings somewhere in Africa, somebody said, that can stir up enough air circulating, and eventually that forms into a whirl and a storm, and it comes off the coast, and suddenly Ian is in the Caribbean bearing down on us. Now, I don't think a butterfly did all that, but that's what somebody in their fanciful imagination said. That's the consequence of living in the fall. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Came home to a dark condo last night. Again, first world problem. It was dry and it was intact. Many don't have that today. I thought about how wonderful light is. And I did like just all of you have done. I walked into the bedroom and reached over and flipped the light switch before I could even think. 
knowing good and well there was no electricity. But I still did it out of habit. Where's the light? And I'll probably go home and do it again today. And I'll remember telling you this, and it'll make me feel even dumber. But Jesus is the light. Don't you get it? We're living in this darkness. We're living in this world that's been plunged into the depravity of sin. And Jesus has come to show us there is a way because he is the way. So he is the one who carries out the action. He is the light. He told his followers, you are the light of the world. But how is it that they are the light of the world? They're the same light in the same way that the moon gives light at night. Light does not emanate from the moon. It reflects the light that shines upon it from the sun. We are able to be lights in the world because the true light shines through us. We are not the light. Jesus is the light. We come to bear witness and testimony, just like John the Baptist, about the one who is the true light. So now we have an opportunity to let our light shine, to let the light that shines through us shine to the world. But our testimony, get this, must be all about what Jesus has done for us. I've never been able to impress people with what I've done. When I was uh, home for a couple of days, I realized that the pasture at mom and daddy's house needed to be bush hogged in a couple of sections because some of it's pretty steep. And I learned from one of the best tractor operators in our part of the world how to navigate a tractor on steep ground. So I got on it and I thought, let me see if I still learn how to do this. And so I'm out there on the hillside and I'm bush hogging. And I thought, I've still got it. I still know how to do it. I didn't flip the thing over and get killed. You know, it's a good way to mess up a good tractor and get killed on steep ground. So don't be careful. But others in my family had learned this. And I thought, this is a useless skill. What, what good is this doing me? I'm living in the flattest part of the world right now in southwest Florida. So telling you about operating a tractor on a hillside does not impress you in the least. When we start trying to impress people with our resume or our skills or abilities, even if we do impress them, we're not helping them. We need to point them to the one who can help them. We need to point them to the Lord Jesus, the one who saves and the one who delivers. If there's any good in me, it's because his grace is working in me. And I need to be reflexive and give the glory to him. You know what a reflex is. When you go to the doctor's office, they don't do it anymore. At least they don't do it to me. They used to wrap you on the knee with that. I'm sorry, Dr. Poland, with that little rubber tomahawk. I don't know what you call that thing. But, you know, you, they strike you at the right place and your, your leg kicks out. Our reflex and devotion should be when anyone notices something good or they have some praise for us, our automatic reflex should be to God be the glory. If there's any good in me, it's by the grace of God. Jesus is the one who does the entire work of the gospel. And so the truth about Jesus is what the gospel states, not what people suppose. There are more opinions about who Jesus is out there in the world, and I'm going to give away my age and having been around my grandparents a lot, and this is profound, and I want you to get it. There are more opinions about who Jesus is out there in the world than Carter had little liver pills. I saw a bottle of Carter's little liver pills one time when I was a boy. They are small, and there was a bunch of them. That's all I remember. <laughs> 
I asked my grandfather what they did. He said, not much. I don't even know what they were made out of. But they marketed those things, these small little beads that came in a bottle in a jar, and people bought them, I guess, and thought that it helped their livers. I don't know. But there are more opinions about Jesus than, I'll use another one, than you can shake a stick at. But the truth about Jesus is found in the gospel. In the Bible, that's where you find who Jesus is. And so when we are testifying to Jesus, having been given this genealogy of one generation after the other, we see that Jesus is the solution, but Jesus as he's presented in the gospel, not as we suppose him to be. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? John 6:42 Being the son as was supposed of Joseph Supposing something doesn't make it true Jesus is the son of God who came to save sinners We see that Luke records this ancestry and it's recorded it actually goes back through Mary as opposed to through Joseph's line, as Matthew did. Now, I don't want to make a big point out of this, but Matthew was uh, more concerned about his actual legal genealogy, as supposed the son of Joseph. That's how the Jews would have understood his genealogy. But even through Joseph's line, it's still traced back to David and to Abraham. Luke who obviously either had interaction with Mary or someone very close to her, traces his line through her, his actual descent from Adam. He is actually a human being, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, who came forth in just the right time to redeem us. We know that though he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, Jesus is one of us. So when we testify to the work of Jesus that he accomplished, we're talking about a real human, though fully God, yet fully human, accomplishing a work that only he could do because of that unique qualification. As God and man, able to accomplish redemption. So know that. There have been all kinds of heresies and errors down through the generations about Jesus because of not fully grasping, either wanting him to be God and not being human at all or to be completely human and not being God. Maybe an inspiring individual, maybe a brilliant teacher, but not God. And everything else in between. And once you get off the tracks there, you, you get way off. It amazes me when... Uh, Engineers are able to accomplish some of these uh, boring feats. I know that one of the great uh, engineering achievements in part of the world that I grew up in was a, a tunnel that was blasted through the mountain in 1926 and 7 in the Pigeon River Gorge so that they could build a Carolina Power and Light hydroelectric plant. They blasted a tunnel seven miles through the mountain, and they started on each end and worked their way in. And this was back in the day before computers. All they had were those slide rules. Anybody here ever learn how to use a slide rule? 
My grandfather showed me how one worked. The only thing I got out of it was there was this little thing on there that slides. And it has a bunch of numbers. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, with their rudimentary ability to do calculations, they blasted from each end through all of that solid rock in that mountain, and they met in the middle, and they were only a few inches off. That just astounds me. I mean, really are able to do remarkable things. And yet, that's right, Hezekiah's tunnel. And yet, we think of all of our achievements. We realize, though, if you, if you start anything, if you start out even just a few degrees off at the beginning, after a while, you find yourself way off. Think about how they have to get the astronauts back home back 50 years ago when they were bringing them home successfully from the moon. You know, they had to, they had to get them to a point that was about as, as wide as the thickness of this piece of paper in terms of calculations if you extrapolate it. They couldn't be off. They, they had to have the right trajectory at the beginning. They couldn't start them off a few degrees in error, and then say, oh, wait a minute, we'll correct it when they get there. When we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we need to trust in him as he actually is, receiving the information from Scripture as truthful, because if we begin believing in an error, our lives will only grow worse from that point forward. Again, to make the point, the genealogy of Jesus is a record of failure, but it ends in success. Our uh, choral instructor at Western used to tell us, he said, he said, you know, in singing, it's important. You, you need to start out well and you need to end well. He said, you especially need to end well. That's what people remember. But some of us can mess it up so bad in the middle, it doesn't matter how well we end it. So you had Adam and Eve who were without sin, and yet they sinned, plunged all of us into darkness, this world into a sinful condition. Everyone else from there simply bore out that sin nature that they inherited, one failure after another, until Jesus comes and he breaks the cycle. He breaks the chain. And now we have someone in whom we can trust. He succeeds. Where? Man failed. The Son of Man prevailed. Hurricane destroying homes. It's symbolic of the destruction that sin brings. There will be rebuilding. Lives will be put back together, but there will always be. There will always be the memory. You're going to be talking about this for years. I've heard about Irma ever since I came here. Now Irma's been displaced. We're going to be talking about Ian. Sorry, Irma. Somebody else came along. We remember these tragedies. They lodge in our minds. But don't allow that to convince you that that's the story. The story is not ultimately about the tragedy. It's about the success of the Lord Jesus. He's redeemed us. He's rescued us. One day these things will be no more. We're going to be gathered in heaven one day, and we're not going to be looking at our phones wondering if another one is coming off the coast of Africa. 
I'm looking forward to that day. We're not going to be wondering about a phone call from the doctor to find out whether it's malignant or benign. Cancer will be no more. Sin will be no more because of Jesus. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Romans 5.19. So Adam, having disobeyed, ensured that all of us would be born sinners and would bear out that condition through our own actions. Yet Christ perfectly obeyed, and now by faith I inherit his perfect righteousness. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.22, this is as simple as it gets. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. There's your good news. What can you get out of a genealogy? A whole lot more than that. We could talk about individuals that are there, and we can wonder how in the world did he get in the line of Jesus. There were other people. I would have I would have picked several other people than the ones that are there. But then that begs the question: Who are any of us to claim association with Jesus? <laughs> who am I to be counted as one of His? By any measure, anyone looking at my life could easily determine that I don't belong. Well, too bad. Jesus said, let whosoever will come unto me and I will in no wise cast him out. That's all we need to know. Now, as Presbyterians, we understand that by grace, there's a whole lot more to it than that. But what I need to know at a gut level, did I just say that? That's a theological expression. Y'all remember that. At a gut level. When I'm wondering, when the wind is howling, the rain is coming down, and the thunder is pounding, and poor Ginger, our dog, is shaking like a leaf. I've told her, I said, you've been through hundreds of these things. You haven't been killed yet. And she still doesn't take any comfort from my words. When all of life is howling around us, We have to find a rock that we can hold on to. And that rock is the Lord Jesus. And Satan and the world and everything else hurled at you is going to cause you to question, what right do I have to claim him? How can I say confidently that heaven is my home? Because Jesus said, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. That's what I mean by gut level. Even I have to set my my. Sorry, Dr. Kelly, I hope you're not watching this. I have to somewhat set some of my systematic theological understanding of the order of salvation aside and simply tell myself, Jesus says, if I believe in him, I have everlasting life. And suddenly, I'm right back where I was in Bible school. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you. There will be more storms. I wish I could tell you this is the last one. There will be more difficulties to face. But of all the people who are offering you supposed solutions, there is one man who has delivered, and his name is Jesus. And I plead with you today, if you haven't, put your trust in him. Yes, one day. 
you're going to see this world fixed, and it is going to be more astounding than we can possibly imagine. But in the meantime, we trust him. He is our hope and our peace. And may God bless you to think about that. Father in heaven, bless us, O Lord, to know Jesus, to trust in the one who has prevailed in every way. And grant, Father, that like little children, our confidence in our Savior may be simple and yet profound. That as you have proclaimed in your word that he saves sinners, blessed that we might believe what you said. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Because he lives. That's a good reason to go on. Let's stand together and sing it. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together. Amen.
Amen.